0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Welcome on in. This is the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast for Thursday, August 11th. We are getting into both my, uh, John McKechnie here, uh NFFC draft and Mario's NFFC draft I went on Wednesday night Mario went over the weekend so we're going to break those down we're also going to take a little bit of a deep dive into the Patriots offense see what's going on there because the reports are a little bit iffy coming out of Foxborough right now so we'll get into all of that and more here on this edition let's start the show Welcome on in. This is the Road to Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. This podcast presented by our friends over at Dynasty Owner. Big thanks to Alan Soslowski for filling in for me. Last Thursday, I was in Texas, and it's fortunate uh, if you're watching the live stream that that uh, our podcast runs on Thursday because, Mario, I had an impressive uh, forehead tan that, that, uh, has since dissipated. Uh, I, I, wore a headband to the pool all day on Friday and Saturday and, and, uh, the headband did not cover the eyebrow area. Okay. Boy, I took this exactly, crispy.
2: I took this exactly for the opposite. I thought you were saying your forehead was sunburned and no other part of you, um, Oh, which <laughs> yeah, would have no. been way
1: cooler. <laughs> it would have, that would have been an interesting look, you know, I, I might have to balance it out with that. Uh, this coming weekend, but uh, yes, Texas was good more. to me. Other than that, yeah, I'm, I need—I'm in desperate need of that, and I think tanning my forehead is really um, the the way of going about that. Really leathery, yeah. I mean, it literally was kind of leathery. It was—it was a no bueno. So I got to be careful uh, with that the rest of the summer. Anywho, uh, so we today we're going to get into our NFFC drafts. Both of us were able to draft in the RotoWire online championships over the course of this last week. Uh, before we get there, though, a, a quick little uh, breaking news nugget. Uh, James White noted New England Patriot uh, has announced his retirement as of Thursday morning.
2: Yes. Yeah, so uh, they, for some reason, weren't really telegraphing it any earlier beyond, you know, the pick of Pierce Strong and uh, Kevin Harris, but yeah, I don't even remember the last time we heard of him practicing or anything with that hip. And, of course, is getting up there in age. Really good career. Uh, I suppose Ramondre Stevenson is the presumed replacement for, you know, the targets at least, the passing down reps at least, even though he's a very different, differently used player. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because I don't think the Patriots would have took Strong and Harris unless they kind of uh, – had some curiosity about using them. And I, I know strong missed some practices early. I don't know if he's in the picture really right now. Haven't heard anything emphatic about Harris either, but with white out of the picture, there might be more reason to to care about whoever the third running back in the Patriots offense might be.
1: No, nah, absolutely. Because, you know, white was, you know, uniquely good at the, at the pass catching third down type of functions. So uh, I don't know if there's a, an obvious guy for for that. I mean, Stevenson uh, can can catch a little bit. Harris, you would mm,
2: think strong, but, um, but
1: I don't know might. where his game is at, and uh, yeah, I don't know what his whole deal in general with the offense is. No, exactly. But but you know, kudos to to James White on, on an excellent uh, NFL career, especially relative to you know wh- where the expectations were. Really good Wisconsin uh, coming career, in too. Yes, I actually ran into him a couple weeks after he was uh, crushing it in the Super Bowl at, at noted Madison Bar Wando's in the upstairs. From the very few times <laughs> okay, that I made it all the way up to.
2: to... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh... He's a nice guy. Oh, of course, no, no, no. It's a, and I, <laughs> I know it's like if you're a football player, like you, you probably just get took to those places by yeah. uh, you know the whole team at once, basically. Uh, but yes that's just kind of funny because it's like a place where you shouldn't be at if you're older than 21 exactly otherwise you're a
1: creed basically (laughs) seems like that that is kind of like the the destination for people that are coming back into town like alumni who don't want to believe they're old yeah yep yep that kind of stuff so um but either way fun little anecdote there um but yes james white uh no longer it wasn't the kk at least Yes, that that to me yeah, would have been uh, far much more straight concerning. to jail, yeah. <laughs> straight to jail. Um, but but moving out of uh, the Madison Bar discussion and into <laughs> the NFFC discussion, that, that's what we call a segue, folks. Um, let's dive in. So uh, you and I had pretty similar drafts and, and we'll kind of unpack that as the show goes. But um, you went ahead and. And you took Justin Jefferson first overall, and your draft took place, what, uh, Saturday? I
2: think it was Saturday. It was either that or Sunday.
1: So going going in, and this is the type of draft where there is what's called the, the KDS, the Kentucky Derby style, um, where you are able to order your, your draft selection preferences. Did you have uh one one as you as your top pick were you expecting or were you kind of hoping to to be picking out of that spot because there is the third round reversal that that ends up kind of making it a little bit tougher on those with the early first round picks
2: i didn't want the first pick but i i didn't set the thing in time so i think that's the default setting is is one and uh so i i ended up with that um Initially, I was kind of like, oh, crap, uh, I don't know what I should do now, but I just locked on to Jefferson because, I, I mean, I've said multiple times that he's probably my number one player, so I thought, well, even if, uh, you know, s- strategy soundness aside, at least I'm kind of putting my money where my mouth is, so uh, at least no one can complain a- at me about that, but the more I thought about it, and this was a totally incidental thing, I didn't, I didn't plan this. But when I looked at the ADP of the RotoWire Online Championship uh, NFFC drafts in the past like week or whatever, uh, the picks that I had the first, uh, the 24th and the 36th, whatever that is, whatever it actually is, they tend to pretty loosely correlate to, uh, well, the first, it, it's more so like Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey, but the second and the third round picks were almost exactly where Travis Etienne and Kyler uh, <laughs> Kyle Pitts were going. And... Um, so I like those guys a lot, obviously, and it was uh, another chance to kind of put my money where my mouth is. So I, I immediately, when I started looking at it and trying to rationalize and think of my strategy, I was just like, okay, I'm trying to get Jefferson, ETN, and Pitts. And if, if I can just do that, I'll, I'll be, you know, I, I won't complain too much. I won't say I'll be happy, but I'll, I'll not complain quite as much.
1: Yeah, no, I think that that's that's definitely, you know, a good start, um, ETN. Obviously, moving up boards and, and, you know, this this particular draft has an overall component to it. So um, ETN with, with the upside that he presents, I, I thought that he totally made sense um, as your second pick. And then uh, Kyle Pitts, of course, going in the, in, uh, the third round. Uh, he also went in the third round in, in my draft to me and uh, was talking with uh, Greg Ambrosius and Tom Kesnick on XM uh, on Wednesday night after my draft. And they were commenting that that Kyle Pitts has seemingly become like the the poster boy for for Wire, and I, I told them that yes, I, I did, I, I was contractually obligated um, that to to stay on brand and make sure that that I was the guy with, that ended up with Kyle Pitts.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, so I, I noticed in your draft board, it didn't pl- play out quite the same way. But I took Pitts. Uh, I think this also was the case in your draft. I took him like three picks after Andrews went, four after Andrews went but Darren Waller in my draft didn't go for nearly three rounds after I took Kyle Pitts. And then Kittle went shortly after Waller. Whereas I'm pretty sure Waller went uh, maybe a little more than two rounds, uh, maybe two rounds in your case, but it wasn't quite as far as in mine. He
1: was, he was mid fifth.
2: Okay. Yeah. So when I, when I saw Waller falling to I guess it must've been the late sixth in mine. uh, I kind of started panicking. I was like, Oh my God, I did the, the, the fish move, taking a tight end when all the, all the guys who are, who are sitting on, you know, uh, 50 NFFC drafts, they're, they're taking their tight ends in like the, the, the 10th and 12th round. But I guess, uh, and again, this is just rationalization, I guess, on my part, but I, I guess I'm just willing to wager that if there's an exception to the rule of waiting at tight ends, then Kyle Pitts this year, at least at the third, fourth round turn,
1: uh, should be one such case and uh, and in full ppr you know nonetheless i think that that you know adds uh,
2: yeah a, a i blur. think uh so so i'm i'm either in practice taking kyle pitts waller or albert aquegman this year like i don't really take any other tight ends and you'll notice one of those is a good uh nine eight rounds later than the other two so uh Albert Aquaginim loses a little tiny bit, I think, in PPR relative to half-point PPR. And I've mostly been taking him in half-point PPR uh best ball drafts. So I would I was a little less eager to take my main tight end backup option in this format. So that also kind of nudged me a little bit toward pits, I suppose.
1: Uh yeah, I, I totally get-, get that. And it- I-, I think that this is a good year to to kind of have your guys circled as far as tight end goes. I went early tight end as well, like like we mentioned. I circled back on, on a second tight end. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit more when, when we unpack my team, but uh, I, I didn't. I felt a little bit painted into a corner, but that that's because of the way that um, the the wide receiver market shaped up in the eighth uh, through tenth rounds. That that kind of threw me uh, for a loop, but we'll get to that it, uh, in a little bit. Uh, going back to Jefferson, though, do you feel like? Part of the rationale for for going with him, and and this is less about Jonathan Taylor and Christian McCaffrey, but, you know, for the bulk of draft season, it's been Cooper Cup slam dunk, first receiver going off the board. Is this, you know, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but is this a little bit of a reaction to maybe some concern that Matthew Stafford and and the elbow issue that he's dealing with. And then you kind of zoom out the the long-term injury problems that, that Stafford has had over the course of his career. I mean, he's played through, you know, almost all of them, but at the same time he's been banged up a lot last year was kind of like the perfect storm as far as him being able to to be out there all season. But do you think that some of that played into it when it comes to cup versus Jefferson?
2: Well, I certainly didn't mean to fade cup or anything, but it, for me it was a combination of a lot of, a lot of considerations. Like one is that I'm just really, really high on Justin Jefferson. And uh, in NFFC, it, the receivers tend to go pretty early and the running backs do too. Uh, but the receivers, it's kind of like, I don't know. You, you don't want to have bench points at receiver. You don't, you really don't want to have a low point total at receiver. And I, I value that Justin Jefferson is, a receiver who I think could be the top overall fantasy player in PPR this year and just taking him in a lot to a large extent just solves the question of, of receiver right there. So I valued that a lot, especially because in this current market at running back, I think guys like Elijah Mitchell are too cheap. So if I'm taking guys like Elijah Mitchell and quarter Patterson all the time, I'm either going to end up leaving them on my bench or I'm going to have to take fewer running backs early than I have most years. So I I really liked uh, that the ADP setup in this case for for the Jefferson ETN uh, Pitts combo, but I, I definitely had to think about Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, and Cooper Cup all. But uh, yeah, I've, I've had Jefferson as my number one player uh, this off uh, after Taylor rather um, this off season, I guess. Uh, so I, I I preferred him over Cup. Uh, the, the, the Vikings floor I think is just so high with with the usage that Jefferson has and how effective he's been with his usage and that actually could improve a little bit with this new offense not that I expect the offense to get much better exactly but I can imagine Jefferson getting just a little bit more work yet and uh, he has less of a durability history less of an injury history I should say than Cooper Cup like Cooper Cup as much as we worry about Stafford and that elbow and Stafford's durability in general I mean he's, he's gotten hurt a He's gotten hurt a number of ways over the years, tough as he is. It's like, there's, there's only so much you can take, um, mm-hmm. especially as it approaches the age that he is. So I'm a little tiny worried about Stafford's durability. Yes. But cup has a knee history himself and uh, he's got to be pushing 30 already. So it's, it's not like I'm expecting a decline with cup. Exactly. I just can't see as many ways as uh, with Jefferson to, to fail. And, and uh, I, I know it can still go wrong with any player, but I just, perceive slightly less risk with Jefferson and uh, no meaningfully different ceiling.
1: Okay. All right. That, that, that certainly checks out. I think that, you know, that the way that you framed it as far as what's going on with the Rams, what's going on with Stafford cup uh, and uh, where he is uh, in his prime re- relative to Jefferson. Uh, yeah. All of that certainly uh, makes sense and can certainly steer you in the, in that direction of Jefferson over cup. I've, I've opened myself up to that idea. Ob- obviously I took uh, Jefferson third uh, first receiver off the board. So um, yeah, definitely with you there. Was there any point in this draft or let, let's start with, let's uh, go back to your, to your running back strategy. Did, did you feel like you were just going to take best player available? You, you obviously took ETN in, in the second round, but uh, fifth and sixth rounds, you go with Elijah Mitchell and Antonio Gibson You mentioned that you have plenty of uh, Mitchell shares thus far. Do you have much in the way of Gibson? And and were you kind of expecting to to leave uh, the the first six rounds with with three running backs?
2: I didn't expect the three running backs detail, but by the time I took Pitts, and by the way, I took Jalen Waddle after Pitts. So Waddle is my wide receiver, too. When I made that pick, uh, it didn't take long for me to realize that I was going to have to go running back, running back at the next pick because I could see that the receivers that were going off the board to me would not be as useful at receiver as Mitchell and Gibson would be at running back. So, uh, in best ball, I actually probably have more Gibson than Mitchell just because Gibson's a good uh, magnitude cheaper at this point. Like, there's people who just believe like Antonio Gibson's not going to play this year. Uh, you know, wh- whatever, we've gone over it. Um, yep. But I thought. You know, getting getting three running backs who I consider very high upside PPR, especially like uh, in the case of Mitchell, by the way, the whole narrative on him, which has been consistently stupid, uh, completely in almost all accounts neglects to mention that he's their passing down guy. Like Elijah Mitchell is taking all those Jamichael Hasty snaps from last year and passing downs that he couldn't take last year because he was taking too much of a workload as a runner, particularly. So, yeah, the, the 49ers are trying to keep Mitchell uh, more around like 15 carries per game than 25 carries per game. But a, if they need 25, he's still their best candidate. And you know, they, they have emergency situations where they just, you know, go to extents like that, even if they don't want to as a base function and B, he's going to get more targets per snap than last year. So Mitchell is just point blank, misevaluated. People are getting it totally wrong. In Gibson's case, I'm, I'm at least concerned for the offense. I think that's a stupid, stupid team, and Carson Wentz is a horrible player. Who's Sam bad. Howell? Sam Howell. Sam Howell needs happen. to be the starter, man. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> um, they need that, or Heineke. I mean, I think Heineke would, would be better this year than last year. Now that there's more help there, but yeah, Wentz is just uh, atrocious. With that said, um, I mean, like I took uh, Gibson in the like same six round, rounds. five five or six picks before Tony Pollard went. It's like, that guy is literally a backup. So, mm-hmm. whatever. I, I know that there, there's people who think, like, Brian Robinson must be good because uh, he was a third-round pick and running backs don't matter. And, and taking a running back in the third is the same as taking one in the first uh, 15 years ago. Whatever. I don't care. Um, I'm willing at that point to take a chance on Gibson's talent, which people have completely lost track of. And it's, it's uh, you know, it's in the sixth round, I think the risk is negligible relative to the upside.
1: Right, and you don't have to have to start him because you, you have those two two running backs. Um, I also got Corderell later, and I am not
2: at all convinced that Corderell falls outside of the top like twenty running backs in PPR scoring this year. I think people are totally wrong on him too.
1: Yeah, I like that. That, that that's a good uh, running back value. He w- I was starting to look at him uh, once I got towards that uh, eighth ninth. Uh, I got him in the tenth. For what it's worth, yeah. Yes, so that that was definitely a solid pick. Um, Before we we get on to a little bit more of your team, um, I want to touch on one one of the more interesting, uh, if nothing else, uh, roster builds from your draft. The team picking out of the third spot took Christian McCaffrey and then hammered receiver. uh, Let's see. uh, Yeah, so that's, uh,
2: I don't remember his name, but that's one of the big money guys. And you'll notice he didn't take a tight end until very late. So he very clearly, I, I guess it could have been pending you know, the, the draft order or something, but he clearly was resolved to not spend at tight end because he took Friar in the 13th, Everett in the 15th, Hooper in the 18th. I, I would bet anything Hooper outscores Everett this year, by the way, and probably Friar too, the way uh Mitch appears to be throwing in Pittsburgh practices. But uh, this guy would not do this unless he had some, you know, basis. And also there's this other, a uh, big money guy down at the eleventh pick, and he didn't take his first tight end until Lequegum until the twelfth. Uh, so yeah, you see those two guys, both big money guys. They're both going extremely receiver heavy from rounds like two through eight, and um, I don't, I am not drawn quite to that same thing because I, I obviously, I have different ideas about running back, and in in this in this particular year, apparently Kyle Pitts, I think quite differently than them, but they, they, they know that there's a good basis for their strategy. And it's basically, you need a high point total at receiver. So you need probably like a couple horses at least. And then you need a couple viable breakout candidates. And so I assume chasing that, that somewhat unexpected breakout person, that breakout receiver is why you see them willing to put like a fourth and the fifth receiver on their roster by the seventh or eighth round, even though, you know, my, my conventional concern, there would be like, well, how am I starting all these guys? Um, They must know through experience something like, you know, one of them will burn out and it doesn't matter because you got to spend the two picks in a row to get the other guy who breaks out and matters more. Something like that, Mm -hmm. Uh, though. uh, Clearly, I'm still taking a different approach.
1: Yeah, just kind of have that low uh, or that that like really high bar to clear as far as as production goes. And if a guy's not meeting, it's like, okay, all right, well, also, I'm, I'm just moving you to the bench
2: those guys both took running backs in the first two. So maybe, you know, maybe if they had Justin Jefferson, they would have had a slightly different approach. I don't know.
1: No, definitely. So, so yeah, that's an important detail, but both McCaffrey for team three and and swift uh, for, for team 11 kind of helped fuel um, those particular strategies. And, but I I think the thing that's particularly interesting to me with, with the McCaffrey team, that the team that was picking third is that, that quintet uh, word of the day, um, of receivers that, that he took after McCaffrey they, they it felt like the 80 like the ADP was jumped a little bit on, on a couple of these guys or, or maybe they were just not the players that you would tend to see going necessarily here I mean maybe Mike Evans in the second makes some sense but I hadn't seen Allen Robinson going in the third round uh, late third round to to be fair but but still late third Darnell Mooney Elijah Moore, I love that pick in the fifth and then Kadarius Tony, uh, that you know that's official helium. I think I wouldn't be surprised if that uh, creates his new uh, min pick over on the on the NFFC adp.
2: Yeah, so you can if I was correctly describing his strategy, you could see how it was playing out there because I, I guess I would assume in my case that if I took Mike Evans and Allen Robinson, I might take another receiver with that third that that fourth round pick. Excuse me mm-hmm. after that but I wouldn't have took three receivers in a row and I wouldn't have took Rondale Moore three rounds after that, you know? So I think he's pretty clearly trying to uh, sort of accept the limitations of what we can foresee and sort of saying, I, I am going to just take these receivers, the, this particular number of them in this particular range, because there's whatever percent plausibility that two or three of them break out Uh, and a certainty that you know one or two will not but it's worth the overall expense and incurring the the miss the the one or two misses there might be to make that much more certain that I get that breakout or two that I maybe can't foresee at the moment so I get that theory with Tony I mean I don't see him breaking out to that extent but he's you know very toolsy has the the first round pedigree Rondale Moore PPR this the scoring is and uh if we already have DeAndre Hopkins suspended, what if Marquise Brown, you know, gets hurt or something? Rondale Moore could become like a 90-catch player in on a per game basis for however long of a stretch that is. So uh yeah, I think uh it's it's chasing both high floor and high ceiling at receiver, which makes enough sense when you have a three-receiver setup like this one and, and you took McCaffrey in the first round. Um I I think some of those running back picks were a little weird but again, this is a guy who, who definitely has cashed a lot of times. And so, uh, I, I think if anything is there is to take away here is that, uh, his strategy is kind of, um, sh- showing that roster construction and, uh, sort of just like resource allocation distribution matter as much as getting the players specifically correct, because, uh, there's, there's things other than the talent levels of the players that matter. And, uh, I'm assuming his draft strategy is particularly sensitive to those points.
1: Okay. All right. That, I think that's a, that's a pretty good, uh, summation there. And yeah, if nothing else, he, he's just like giving himself a, enough ammo at, at receiver to, you know, you, you figure that, End of the day, he's going to have three or four of those guys that that are going to be starter viable. Oh yeah, um, you, you know I love Elijah Moore. See
2: that's, that's, that's how I would have played it. I just would have I would have been arrogant enough to say Moore is the breakout guy. I don't need these other two. Uh, mm-hmm. I would have uh, apparently spent the pick on a backup running back instead. Yeah. <laughs>
1: uh, exactly. Um, before we get on to to the rest of your team, we we've got a message from our friends over at Blue Wire. All right, so let's break down the, the, the kind of second half of your team. You, uh, you took Joe Burrow as, as your first quarterback, and you got him in the seventh round. Uh, you went pretty heavy at receiver. I think that that definitely makes sense um, from, from there on, especially after after taking three running backs in, in the first six. So you got Robert Woods in the eighth, Tyler Boyd in the ninth. That pairs up nicely with Joe Burrow. L, like you mentioned, in, in the tenth. Good little PPR slash flex option for you. Uh, let's see, Sammy Watkins, Romeo Dubs uh, in the 12th round, KJ Hamler in the 13th uh, and Corey Davis in, in the 15th. So stockpiling a lot of guys there. Were, were those all people that, that you uh, were, were kind of targeting, hoping to get coming into this? Do you have a lot of shares of each of these guys or was was this a first time for a handful of them?
2: I don't have much Woods,
1: Boyd. Uh, I don't have I'm that. I'm coming around on Woods. On Woods. I'm coming around on Woods a little bit.
2: Yeah, uh, so I wanted Christian Kirk with that pick, and I would still, you know, trade Woods for Kirk if I had the chance. But I, I agree. It's I think if I did this draft again today, I don't know if Woods makes it that far. There's been some positive press since then, and uh, I guess it's it's worth mentioning. Traylon Burks, uh, you saw the report about how he was like. Lining up in the wrong spot and had the wrong routes in mind on some plays.
1: Oh, I I don't pay attention to these sort of things. I already made up my mind about him in April. So,
2: (laughs) oh, fair (laughs) enough. I'm just just saying. But that is uh, that is what a lot of people are are definitely confirmation
1: bias. I mean, for me, I
2: I think Burks is really super talented. So I actually don't really have a position on this because I could imagine like, what if what if he just sort of starts studying harder? The next two weeks and even if he starts slow for the first month it's like he just needs some switch to go off and I, like I'm, I'm not saying that he has some sort of like learning difficulty or something but there have been guys in the nfl who have like actual learning disabilities and they're fine so i think it's an issue of like maturity and doing his homework basically which yeah if he never does it maybe he never gets going but if he simply does then there's no talent reason for him to fail so I I actually I still feel anxious about Burks even though I don't have any shares of his and this this news on him seems kind of bad because I, I just I think it's true is the thing is is I, I don't know if it's gonna matter that much especially in the long haul but I do think it is true and I don't know any I don't have any sources but I know people who know people too at least who were telling me before the draft that Burks always had someone telling him where to line up at Arkansas and he basically doesn't know routes and stuff. So uh, I didn't publish anything on that. Cause I didn't know whether a, I'm not going to just say anything, but like B I, mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't know for enough certainty to put out something that could kind of be a really big deal if it were true. Um, but yeah, Burks has a history of this problem and that it's popping up in Tennessee practices is actually not surprising. And I saw some people saying like, this is just crap. This is made up. It's like, no, man, it was out there. Yeah,
1: you know, it, it it was. And, and you know, I, I think you could even kind of find the, the devil in the details in, in the sense that, you know, he's can, he has the body type of an X receiver, right? Like, a, a you know, a guy that you stick on the outside. But, you know, such a high percentage of, of his snaps in college uh, were out of the slot. And, like, it, it worked great for Arkansas, but I don't think it necessarily prepared Burks Uh, For for the NFL in that sense, because, you know, basically when you have a guy with with Burks's size and athleticism going up against nickel corners in the SEC, of course, he's going to just crush like that. That that is just, you know, uh, a slam dunk uh, possibility, especially when, you know, Arkansas is basically structuring their entire passing game around him the way that they did and and you know college football tangent that's why I'm worried about Arkansas for this year they don't have that that's such a big uh piece of that offense to to try Them to and, replace uh, Kentucky with Wondell yeah yeah that, that's gonna be an issue uh for, for Kentucky as well um so we'll, we'll see what happens there but
2: anyway, oh yeah I like for uh I like Burks enough but glad to get Woods here uh I, mm-hmm. I, it's playing it a little close even so uh but it is ppr and if burks does start slow then woods could be real life ineffective and still very effective in ppr because like what is is uh nick west westbrook gonna catch six passes a game no kyle phillips is fine but he's you know he's only better than a uh, chester rogers or whatever like that's not moving the needle mm-hmm. for me he's not gonna carry your offense and hooper whatever. So I, I can imagine Woods getting quite a bit of work if uh, Burks is not showing Vrabel what Vrabel wants to
1: see. No, it, exactly. So so the, this could be a, a tough uh, rookie season at the very least for, for Burks and, and you know, any, anywhere inside the top, I think 12 rounds, I'm just not interested in Burks. A couple quick questions to get to you. J-Red want, wants to know uh, what the deal with Stafford is. He's back at individual drills as of Tuesday. So that's encouraging. But, you know, that, that I just tend to feel like this could be a, a recurring problem potentially. Obviously, I'm not a doctor, but um, I'm just a little bit worried about Stafford. I think you can, you can go with a different veteran quarterback where, where he's going, and I, I think it's an important detail to keep in mind um, as we move through draft season as, as you're targeting uh, the Rams offense. And then uh, Julia wants to know, what makes Robert Woods a better option in this spot that, than Devontae Smith if Smith uh, also w- was available?
2: Um, yeah, so Smith was on the board. I guess I I was probably thinking about the two of them. But uh, Smith, my concern is, he's a really good player. First of all, I don't doubt Smith's talent at all. I think he's clearly good. But I also think he's the worst kind of receiver to be paired with a quarterback like Jalen Hurts, like Jalen Hurts, definitely benefits from bigger targets like AJ Brown players who can mitigate the effects of of his poor accuracy, basically. Uh, Devante Smith, would work better with a precision passer and and Hertz will never be that. So I am also, I'm worried about those things. And I'm worried about Smith maintaining any sort of significant target share. Certainly not a target share, uh, you know, proportionate to his talent level uh, with AJ Brown there and Goddard. Goddard got really hot at the end last year when they started using him a different way. And Goddard was a really high volume pass catcher in college too. Like he was a wide receiver in college. I think Uh, he's just really big and athletic for a tight end. So he's playing tight end in the NFL, but I could imagine Smith being the third pass catcher on that team. And I expect them to be among the lowest passing volume teams in the league. So uh, that's my concern with Smith. It's a combination of respect for AJ Brown and a and, uh, concern about Hertz as a passer, I guess.
1: Well, Devontae Smith is my wide receiver three. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll get a rubber meets. I would have made that
2: pick there. if it wasn't for woods there. So it's not like I was, uh, it wasn't like I was running away from Smith or anything.
1: I got you. I think I think that those concerns are legitimate, um, especially when it comes to the structure of that offense. And if you're if you're falling out of the top two in, in that uh, target pecking order, um, then it's going to be tough. So I, I really had to kind of hammer uh, receivers late and and we'll actually transition over there uh, before. Um, or do you have anything else to, to add? Oh. Can I make fun of you for taking Tyrion Davis price? Oh, I didn't do that. Oh no, oh okay, shoot. I looked at the I looked I at the wrong caught, screenshot. Dude, you made
2: me have like a panic attack.
1: Um <laughs> no, I lo- I looked I was I was pulling up my draft board and obviously they, they look basically the exact same at, at a glance. Right, right. So, so like um, I was like team team one took uh Tyrion Davis Price in the 12. Um I was like, wait a second. Um so yeah, I, I couldn't have left you uh on red if if, if that had happened, but but yes, oh, no, so any other final thoughts
2: <laughs> um, no! So I. I was not targeting Sammy Watkins and Romeo Dobbs, but uh, when that pick that 11, 12 round turn come up, come up there, I was, um, I don't remember what exactly unfolded, but I remember at the time thinking like, okay, I got to take, I got to hope Watkins and Dobbs both make it. Cause I got to take that. I knew I had to get more depth at receiver. Uh, I took Woods and Boyd of course, but they're kind of band-aid solutions in my opinion. So uh, I took Sammy Watkins and Romeo Dobbs at that turn consecutive picks because I, I rationalized it like, okay, 11th and 12th round, late 11th, uh, early 12th. If I can burn these two picks in exchange for getting the wide receiver two in Green Bay, whether it is Watkins or Dobbs, then I, I thought it was worth it. Now, it might not work out. It could be like they both cannibalize each other. Uh, maybe the Packers just suck on offense and neither one is useful. That's totally possible. But my options were pretty limited. I, I thought about Gallup. Gallup and I guess Nico Collins would have been maybe Julio Jones. But I thought it's worth taking the zero if there's a zero from one of Watkins or Dobbs in exchange for the other being the beneficiary. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, hopefully they're both good, but I, I am reasonably confident at least one will be good. And I just love handler. So I take him a lot. Davis is the only pick I, I actually regret and I, I took him cause he was a good value. Uh, like I think some other team really could have used Corey Davis in that 16th round before I took him, but I don't think I can use him. I'm probably gonna have to end up cutting him for some, you know, running back a uh, long shot fab pickup and uh that sucks but yeah if i could trade Corey davis for just pretty much any running back that went i would have done i would do that uh but uh yeah ho- hopefully he's good and doesn't get hurt and I-, I just have too many useful receivers that would be better
1: no i i totally get that uh to to go through an entire draft and not regret at least one pick uh, is uh near impossible um so before we get on over to to break it down Uh, My draft, we got a couple messages from our friends. Starting things off, our friends over at Dynasty Owner, do you love fantasy sports? Are you ready for a new challenge this year? Dynasty Owner is the new way to play fantasy football with real NFL salaries, adding the strategy of running an actual franchise. Dynasty Owner provides a unique and challenging experience that will test your skills as an owner and general manager. You'll have complete control over your team's future. You can build through the draft, make trades, sign free agents, and manage your team's salary cap. Can you create a dynasty of champions? Sign up now at DynastyOwner.com and use promo code ROTO5, that's R-O-T-O-5, to receive $5 off any new team. Again, that's R-O-T-O-5. Check them out over at DynastyOwner. And then we got a message from our friends over at Fantrax. Is there something you wish your fantasy league had or features that are missing from your current league's? Bonus scoring, custom schedules or playoffs, deeper team settings? We'll look no further because we have you covered with our friends at Fantrax. Fantrax is the most customizable fantasy platform in the industry, offering the greatest fantasy experience for your dynasty, keeper, redraft, and best ball leagues. Join MLB All-Star Jock Peterson. Who recently announced he's moving his fantasy football leagues to Fantrax? Fantrax is excited to announce the Fantrax Game Day Experience Giveaway. Fantrax will be sending one lucky fantasy football league to a regular season NFL game of their choice, along with $6,000 towards travel and accommodations. All you have to do is enter the giveaway. All, All you have to do to enter the giveaway is create or join a league on Fantrax. The more leagues you create and join, the more chances you have to win. There's a reason why fantasy football players who try Fantrax make it the permanent home for all their fantasy leagues. Go to Fantrax.com/slash-rodawire and sign up today. Fantrax also great for college fantasy football if that uh, interests you at all. I am currently in the RotoWire staff uh, college fantasy football league going on right now. I think we're three picks in, uh, so enjoying that. Uh, good looking interface. And always enjoy using fan tracks for my college fantasy football and my NFL drafts, of course. All right, Mario, let's unpack my squad. Let's let's indulge. Let's indulge here. So uh, I picked out of the number three spot. Again, I, t- I took Justin Jefferson first, um, deviated from you slightly, did not take ETN in, in the second round. I, I ended up taking Tyreek Hill. I was actually really having an internal battle, with myself about what would I do if Alvin Kamara was still on the board um, in the, in the second round, but he was taking two picks before Leonard Fournette went off the board and I didn't feel like there was a running back, whether it was going to be, uh, uh, I guess ETN w- was available. Chubb, I, I was not so sure on it, in PPR, James Connor came acres were the other guys available. So I just kind of steered into the skid a little bit and took a second uh, wide receiver that that again was not my plan going in through through the first couple of rounds and then I really uh continued to steer into it but by taking uh Kyle Pitts in the third and and that led me to kind of rechanging my strategy on the fly going running back heavy with, with my next couple of picks just to kind of like cover my bases um so I took Ezekiel Elliott in the fourth round I took Elijah Mitchell in the sixth round CEH in the eighth we'll we'll get to him and and Isaiah, Isaiah Spiller um, in the ninth. So uh, leading things off um, your thoughts on Tyree Hill in, in this format as a second round guy.
2: I, of course, probably would have took uh, ETN, but it's not because I disliked the Hill pick and among the receivers that you had to choose from, I, I think he was the right pick because uh, like I would, I would prefer Mike Evans and half point PPR. And I guess there's a case for AJ Brown too, but uh, Tyree Hill is much more likely to get a hundred catches than Mike Evans or AJ Brown. Like those are, especially AJ Brown. He's a, he, he does his damage with the touchdowns and the, the big yardage per catch. He doesn't necessarily catch that many passes, but he'll, it would sooner be the opposite. Like he might only get 980 yards for it or something, but he's probably catching a hundred passes if he's playing 17 games. And, and that's just to say the, you know, close to worst case scenario, he of course could be just legitimately strong and, and a great value at that pick. Uh, And again, I think he sooner would be the right receiver pick than than uh, Mike Evans or A.J. Brown. It would actually be T. Higgins that I would sooner consider at that spot than Evans or Brown. And and I guess Higgins went like five spots later. So, yeah, all those guys that would have been in consideration for me went in the next like four picks after you took Hill. So uh, can only take one, obviously. And Hill, I think, was a totally viable candidate among that group.
1: Yeah, so uh, I don't have a ton of Tyreek Hill. I have a lot of Jalen Waddle um, thus far in, in draft season, but uh, it, it's weird. It's I seem to gravitate towards Hill in these NFFC leagues. I, I took him uh, last year. I actually kind of like stacked up the, the Chiefs a little bit last year. Obviously, Hill on the Dolphins now, but, uh, you know, oh. it, it, am I – a member of two and on now am i am i reading too much into into the good things that are coming out of miami's camp or or is it an extremely well executed uh pr front to make us believe that this dolphins offense is going to be anything better uh than it was a year ago
2: even if it's bad they they can only be bad in a way that puts a ton of usage on hill and i think waddle too like i i don't uh I, d- I don't say this to put down hill but i i think waddle might pretty much match him this year and it's because They just are going to have to use both of them, and they're going to run a spread-out scheme. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball very well, even with the offensive line improvement. The offensive line, if it improves, is much more likely to improve as a pass-blocking group. So at a certain point, it just seems to me like either the the Dolphins are not running plays or Hill and Waddle are catching a ton of passes, even if they don't go for the yardage and touchdowns that the Dolphins would need to be an actually good team.
1: Right, so we'll we'll see what happens there, and I, I still believe that Tyreek Hill is is still in his prime. So you, even if you know we're 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 not seeing those deep shot connections for for touchdowns, you know there there's still ways to where if he's just in space in, in the short intermediate part of the field, he can still just kind of run away from everybody. If those um,
2: guys, um, sorry, if the Dolphins fall behind like more than one score in any game, especially if it's in the first half, then both Hill and Waddle are on like. 10 catch watch at that point because the second defenses start giving them space to spin their wheels and just run out the clock on themselves with short catches, the dolphins will have to take it. And so it, I think, I think if, you know, the dolphins defense is probably going to be okay, but we really want the dolphins defense to be bad because uh, then Tua could go like 700 pass attempts and, and you know just spinning their wheels with PPR points.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. So, so in, in that, in that sense, uh, hopefully that that works out, and the, this Dolphins defense maybe takes a little bit of a step back. They're playing from behind, and and then just the the PPR goodness uh, flows from there. Um, took because this is a six point for passing touchdown league. I took I took Justin Herbert in the fifth, um, oh, but but before then Ezekiel Elliott in the in the fourth. I, I kind of had a a tough conundrum. Obviously that the running back. Uh, tears kind of separated themselves and, and uh, dried up a little bit after the first three rounds, especially after I took Kyle Pitts, um, you know, or having to take Kyle Pitts in the third round. So Ezekiel Elliott versus Brees Hall, it was a really tough uh, call for me, but I, I felt like the, this, this Cowboys offense, especially with with how their pass catching group and the attrition that, that it's had over the course of the year, but, you know, both through the off season and, and through the injuries that have happened, you know, through, through training camp um, and and with Gallup and everything. I just feel like maybe they're, they're going to be forced to run the ball a little bit more. And I, I don't think that Zeke is in his prime anymore. The ADP obviously reflects that. I think that, you know, maybe some of that has to do with, with some Tony Pollard optimism from some, but. I think in all there there was enough for me to think that Zeke is still that, that number one guy in in Dallas, he can still get it done. And I think that they're going to run the ball a little bit more this year. And, and, you know, I think Michael Carter could be a problem for, for Brees Hall in a similar way that, that Tony Pollard is for, for Ezekiel Elliott. And I think that also you look at the Jets offensive line with Makai Becton's knee injury, like that, all of a sudden, uh, that, that could be an offensive line that's not getting a lot of push up front for Brees Hall.
2: Yeah. So I still don't, know where i stand on this at this point i did prefer Brees hall before the becton injury and i I don't think the becton injury means the jets offensive line is going to be bad or anything but it would have been easier to be optimistic about the jets and the hindrance that zach wilson would otherwise pose if we knew that they'd have a definitely good offensive line and definitely good pass catchers and all of that would kind of maybe lift up the quarterback and it's just a bit narrower of a path a bit more sketchy of a proposition without beckton there so i can more easily convince myself to take elliot and it's not that i ever wanted to find a reason not to i kind of avoided him because uh what the hell was it i guess i back in underdog best ball drafts especially a few months ago i would have had to have been taken etn at that pick and i just uh not that i wanted to fade zeke and i thought he was always a good pick when someone took him but i i preferred etn so i didn't end up with any shares um if if I'm in the future staring down Hall versus Elliott, and I'm looking for a running back at that point, I'm, I'm more likely to take Elliott this time around because uh, I think his demise has been overstated and and like eagerly awaited for a long time. Like you, you for like four years, however long Pollard has been in the league, we'd have especially the zero running back uh Choir, just talking about all, all the, t- all the ways that Tony Pollard's clearly better than Zeke, and if the stupid Cowboys hadn't spent a f- top five pick and contract extended Ezekiel Elliott, and how dare they play pay him?
1: him. How uh, dare they?
2: They just have to play the bad running back because they're paying him so much. Like, no, you don't understand how football works. You have to <laughs> just let this go. I, you can't get through to these people that Ezekiel Elliott is a good running back and a valuable player, and Tony Pollard basically doesn't even play the same position as him. Like the idea that like Zeke is what's blocking Pollard is not even true what's blocking Pollard is his build he can't take Zeke's workload he's limited in that capacity so people just think oh if zeke would just get out of the way then Pollard would be full marshall falk I'm like no that's not on the table but uh this is interesting nonetheless that Dallas has these receiver injuries and Pollard is getting more reps at receiver um and it's funny to see the the Pollard truthers say like yes this is it this is finally happening see it's 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 happening like we told you it would playing receiver is not as valuable as playing running back and he's playing actual receiver when Ezekiel Elliott is playing actual running back. Now Pollard used to vulture Ezekiel Elliott with running back reps, which is to say, if he's playing a receiver rep instead, that's a gain for Zeke more than it is for Pollard. And yeah, it's, it's better for Pollard to be on the field, be it at slot receiver than to be on the bench, but he's losing running back reps and it's the running back position where he got those carrying those targets. So I'm sure Pollard gets a little bit of a boost with uh, with um, him playing receiver more. But Pollard moving to receiver reps, especially when uh, Zeke is on the field, that's going to sooner be a gain for Zeke because he can get those targets now.
1: Right. No, it, exactly. So that, that all makes me feel a bit better about Zeke. Uh, Julia wants to know our opinion on, on whether Hall is a better talent uh, you know, prospect-wise uh than ETN I think we we both might be of the opinion that um that ETN was you know Hall's very very good but like ETN I think is like bordering on special obviously with you know coming off the injury last year we'll we'll see but everything seems pretty encouraging and what we saw in college was fully rare uh, for from him so I, I'm I'm an ETN guy as far ETN as ETN
2: might goes. be able to do the Falk thing can, mm-hmm. but but ETN might
1: Yes, exactly. So uh, with that in mind, uh, we'll push forward, um, you know, don't have to say much more about Elijah Mitchell. We both like him a lot. He, he seems to be for, for for me, for for you, like the if you're picking running back at that particular part of the draft, that's just something that, that you're getting. That's the ideal involved. pick there. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Um, I took Devante Smith uh, in the seventh, and then things got a little bit uh, away from me, or maybe not away from me, but but things things went a little bit differently that, than I expected. A lot of receivers that I was going to be targeting, um, guys like Rondell Moore. I was wondering where someone like a Jalen Tolbert was going to go. Uh, Chris Olave, got those type of guys that I was targeting for for my eighth, ninth round, uh, they started to come off the board a little bit earlier. Rondell Moore was certainly um, an ADP jump. He He went in the middle of the eighth. I was really hoping to get him Uh, you know, and and feel like I was jumping things by by getting him in the ninth or the 10th round. So make me feel better about CEH in the eighth round, please.
2: Yeah. So I guess the running back situation in Kansas City is uh, getting talked about a lot in general. Uh, Not even as much about CEH, of course, as Isaiah Pacheco and Ronald Jones. So I was a big fan of Pacheco basically when he put up that combine performance and uh, it kind of gave me reason to reconsider his Rutgers production, which at a glance was very bad. But you look at it in in a little bit better accounting of of how bad the offensive line and the quarterbacks were. Pacheco's totally good, and his athleticism is definitely NFL quality. He's a high-motor guy. I think it's easy to see why he would make the team and why he'd be good, why he'd be dangerous in the Chiefs' offense. But I also think Ronald Jones is clearly there. To pick up the rushing slack that they're going to concede by having Clyde edwards hilaire run less and get more targets than he did in the past. Uh, bizarrely, they've used him more as like a rushing specialist in the first two years, and I don't I don't know if that's because you know him being an underclassman, especially. I don't know if it was like we we don't trust him quite yet on passing downs for pass blocking or whatever other reasons. I don't know, but I think they're clearly gearing up to use edwards hilaire more as a pass catcher and less as a runner and. Less running is not good generally speaking but if the alternative is he just gets hurt anyway and still doesn't catch passes before he gets hurt then I think this was this is clearly a preferable setup for Clyde Edwards Hilaire a scenario where he's more likely to last the whole year and it's it's a scenario where if that is true I think Jones picks up the slack as a runner which is to say about 12 carries per game which is where Clyde Edwards Hilaire is capped but if Edwards Hilaire is getting 10 to 12 carries per game and four to six catches. I think that's a smash value this year. And I I don't have any exposure that I can remember, but it would be more because I was just targeting guys like Elijah Mitchell, Antonio Gibson, Rashad Penny, and Corderell Patterson, the latter two being quite a bit cheaper than Edwards Hilaire, even with his uh, public reception seemingly sinking at all times constantly. So um, it's not that I was trying to avoid Edwards Hilaire. I just thought the other two Patterson and Penny were like a little bit bit better and even though they're a little bit cheaper Um, I think McKinnon is the one who's out and what you're going to see is Claudio Toler getting like 10 to 12 carries four to six catches Ronald Jones getting 12 carries and like maybe one catch and Isaiah Pacheco kind of being the swing backup type slash a guy who could be a problem if he gets his foot in the door but uh, the idea that they're going to just cut Ronald Jones and use Edward to the same way they have in previous years. And then have McKinnon be the passing down guy. I think that's clearly not happening.
1: Okay. Yeah. That, that's not really uh, necessarily adding up for me either. And and th- this draft actually took, took an interesting turn as, you know, I was just talking about the receivers and everything, but at, at that point uh, there, there was one team, the team picking out of the fifth spot that, that took five running backs with its first, seven picks so that that kind of yeah. you know it, it I doesn't do take the sample obviously but but you know Kamara, Acres, Brees Hall, J.K. Dobbins and then uh, Rashad Penny um in the seventh round so I, I was fairly confident after I made my seventh round selection of um and That team also first, took
2: Trey Lance within three picks of Mahomes three rounds that already have yeah.
1: drafted Mahomes yeah that's a, that's a lot of capital to be to be spending um, on quarterback but yeah, so it's so a running back got, got a little bit murky there as well. So I'm just hoping that, that you know, I don't have particularly high hopes for CEH or anything. I'm just, I'm just hoping that he can be a, a viable. People um,
2: think he's a bomb, and he's not a bum. He got hurt. He got hurt both years, and he, he didn't play ahead of Jarek McKinnon in the playoffs because he had a busted shoulder. Like, McKinnon did not Wally pip anybody. McKinnon was just the last thing sitting around, and the defense was like, Hey, we're not going to defend him. He sucks. We don't care. Throw it to him, please. We're begging you. When Edwards Alaire's on the field, the defense actually defends his targets because they know he's a threat. And the Chiefs have to get something from him. They know it can't be in the form of a 20-carry roll. It has to be that they are giving him more targets and fewer carries than in past years, which is the best case scenario for him at this point.
1: Right. So so then, you know, we, we could have the, the more efficient per touch t- type of workload. Uh what <clears throat> excuse me, when it comes to CEH. Um, I took Isaiah Spiller in the ninth. I haven't been super comfortable doing that thus far, and I, you know, I kind of went against the the brand that I had been building. Uh, oh, you're a hater. In terms of, I don't know oh <laughs> n- no, no, not a hater, not a hater, <laughs> but I, I certainly hadn't been one of his optimists uh, necessarily, and I, I'd been more so inclined to be like a Damian Pierce guy. Maybe a couple rounds later, but he actually went a pick after Spiller. But I, I felt like it was a worthwhile. Gamble just, you know, in the event that, you know, God forbid, you know, uh, Austin Eckler has to miss some time. Uh, Spiller can certainly pick that up. I don't think he does the same things as Eckler, of course, but I think Spiller can be a fine between the tackles kind of take some pressure off of Eckler take take some of the the wear and tear off of him and, and be able to just be that north south guy that, that I feel like they've really been missing uh, since Melvin Gordon left.
2: Yeah, so I was pretty low on Spiller back when draft Twitter was arguing about whether he was as good as Brees Hall or whatever nonsense they got themselves gassed up to. But uh, him as a NFL player in an NFL offense that we project to score a lot, uh, where his competition is Joshua Kelly and Larry Roundtree, it's at that point a very different question of like, how good is he? It's more like, is he good enough? And the level that he needs to be is quite low as it were. So I think you can be very low on Isaiah Spiller as a talent and still think that he has a golden setup here with the chargers, because they're going to give him upwards of 10 carries per game, even when Eckler is totally healthy. And if they should go up two scores in a game, you might see Eckler go to the bench for the rest of it. Like they might just put Spiller out there to run out the clock. If, if they ever get any leads that they can keep. So I think Spiller just needs to be better than Kelly. And Kelly, I don't even understand how he's been. He must have a case of the yips or something because he's hes just been shook ever since he fumbled in like week two of his rookie year or something. And he, he seems like he's just running terrified. Uh, Spiller will run hard at least. You know, I don't think he has much tools to work with, but he knows how to play running back. He's not going to go down easy. He's not going to just leave yardage on the field exactly. So I think that's all they need from him. And I don't think he has any competition for it.
1: Yeah. So uh, locking in that number two role um, for especially behind a guy who's not going to be pushing for 300 plus carries. I thought that 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 made some sense. Um, pushing forward here, uh, went with a lot of receivers for these next few rounds. Uh, I want Chase Claypool in, in the 10th, KJ Osborne in the 13th, Romeo Dubs in, in the 14th, AJ Green in, in the 15th, uh, Ended it, last pick, uh, Mr. Irrelevant for, for me, Simi Fajoko. <laughs> uh, you know, just obviously not really expecting much of anything from that one. Also took Pat Friermuth as my tight end two in the 11th. Uh, I just felt like the, the pool was drying up. I, I, I think I'm kind of at max capacity as far as my Albert O shares are concerned. He went around later. Maybe, maybe I should have still taken him uh, regardless of that. Had a little bit. I did not expect this, but I hadn't been really faced with this one just yet. But I I was legit considering uh, Cousins over Rogers uh, as my as my. I prefer Cousins actually. Yeah. Okay. All right. So
2: not to uh, (laughs) not to kick you while you're down. Uh, I mean, our Rogers should be fine. And besides, if if uh, if Dobbs really is going off, and you for some reason need to start Rogers, uh, you could have uh, his number one receiver too.
1: Yeah, so the you know the bye weeks line up just fine for yeah, Herbert's gonna week.
2: rake. Who cares? Yeah,
1: yeah, see exactly. So it's all good anyway. And then uh, let's see, rounding it out. Any anything else of note? Um, took Gus Edwards late. I took uh, Rex Burkhead late. You know, Edwards. The, the the thinking was already had four running backs at that point. I don't need get Gus Edwards in week one. I just need him potentially down the stretch if I don't cut him. Uh, yeah. Before then, I know that the r- reports haven't been glowing ab- about where he is in his rehab. And then Rex Burkhead, seventeenth you know, round, obviously a dart throw. But I-, I think you know maybe early in the season, if 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 Marlon Mack, you know, falls behind a little bit, or, or if Damian Pierce isn't quite as ready as as we were hoping uh, to to take over that that starting role, then you know, Burkhead just kind of that that inconvenient truth that exists in in, wow. in fantasy, and and you know, he ends up being you know somewhat. Uh, useful at least once or twice.
2: Yeah, um I think I think um you know it is concerning what Gus is looking at, but he just he just needs to get in by like week six or something and you can hold on to him. And in the case of Burkhead is for how much people try to the zero running back people especially have tried to reach to hype players like Daria Gumba and uh like recent Gio Bernard and players like that. Uh, these scab backs who just suck and don't do anything but take passing down re- reps from their betters. Uh, Rex Burkhead is a much superior version of whatever that is. And I don't hear anybody hyping him as like this late, you know, PPR point patter option, which I actually think he is. And I think if Burkhead is not that, if he's anything less than that, then it means Damian Pierce is a three down player. So I think either we're too low on Pierce or people are letting some, f- and I don't particularly see Pierce pushing aside Burkhead is is the way I see it. And why I think Burkhead, at least for like the first half of the year, I think he might be catching, I don't know, like 25, 30 passes or something like that. And I don't think people see that as a possibility at all.
1: Yeah. So, you know, again, you're, you're kind of in the, in the bargain bin at that stage of the draft, especially with, with running backs, but you know, like other guys, like, Dontrell Hilliard, Hassan Haskins, Kenyon Drake, Mark Ingram, like those types available. I I see a, a clearer path to to relevance, at least right now, for, for the early part of the season with, with Burkhead. So I was willing to uh to take the plunge there. Uh I want to
2: mention the crack shot real quick. Uh Elijah Mitchell didn't fumble, so I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, um, yeah. uh he just uh yeah, he's just got he likes to just say every running back take we have is wrong, but uh, correct doesn't usually work that way, my friend. I don't know if you're new
1: around here, but you'll see soon. Oh no, he around. he hangs out pretty often. Oh no,
2: I mean, I mean, like I, going back years, I, I used to have guys on Twitter be like, "Oh, you said Kerryon Johnson sucks, and look at this. This is like week four of his rookie year." And I had Xavier yeah. guys be like, "Oh, you said Nick Chubb and Derrick Henry are good. Where are you now, you loser?" And I haven't heard
1: from that guy in a while, as it were. Yeah, I, I hope he's doing well. Who, wherever I'm sure he whoever. is, I'm sure he's raking <laughs> almost uh, certainly, but uh, that's going to put us uh, up against the hour. So, that's going to do it for us here on this edition of the Road to Wire Fantasy Football Podcast. Uh, big thanks to our sponsors over at Blue Wire, at Fantrax, and at Dynasty Owner. Of course, uh, for Mario Puig, I'm John McCackney. Thanks for listening.
2: Try Road to Wire today, free for 10 days. Get our premium tools, rankings, analysis, and breaking news alerts. No credit card required. Go to rotowire.com
4: forward slash try. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality